Hey everyone, welcome back to my podcast, Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit. Uh, this is your host, Dr. Steve Sullivan, Professor of Anatomy and Physiology at Bucks County Community College, outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. This episode, I want to get into the nucleus of the cell. We talked about the cytoplasm, we talked about the cell membrane, we talked about membrane transport. I want to talk about what these cells do in their regular daily function. So to do that, we have to talk about the nucleus and what's inside. And one of the main things inside the nucleus is DNA. So DNA was, is going to dictate how our cells produce proteins. And those proteins are going to be the structures that we build all of our enzymes and body structures and membrane proteins and a lot of the functional components of what our bodies need to do day in and day out are protein-based. So we need to talk about how our cells synthesize proteins and what that's based on. So we're going to start off with DNA structure and then we're going to get into protein synthesis, which happens in two phases, transcription and translation. So let's get started with DNA structure. Each nucleus of our cells has a two-layered membrane with small holes in it called nuclear pores. Inside the nucleus is our genetic material, which is called deoxyribonucleic acid, or DNA. Human DNA is a series of 46 macromolecules organized into chromosomes. That macromolecule is made up of smaller molecules called nucleotides. DNA remains inside the nucleus because it's too large to fit through the nuclear pores. Each nucleotide has a region referred to as the backbone. This backbone consists of a sugar called deoxyribose and a phosphate group. Projected from this sugar phosphate backbone is one of four different molecules called nitrogenous bases. They're called nitrogenous bases because each has either one or two carbon-nitrogen rings and is classified into one of two molecular categories. The purines have two rings and the pyrimidines have only one. The purines found in DNA are called adenine and guanine. The pyrimidines are called cytosine and thymine. Another pyrimidine exists as well. It's called uracil, but it isn't found in DNA. We will see it later on, however, in RNA. Now, each strand of DNA is very specifically bound to another strand of DNA at those nitrogenous bases. So each backbone forms a sort of bookend, with the books being the nitrogenous bases. Here's how it works. Purines and pyramidines have an affinity for forming hydrogen bonds with one another. Purines can't bind to other purines, and pyramidines can't bind to other pyramidines. Another important thing to notice is that adenine and thymine have two binding sites each, while cytosine and guanine have three. This is really important to understand because it means that adenine can only bind with thymine and cytosine can only bind with guanine. This is referred to as complementary base pairing because each is the complement of the other. It allows us to accurately predict what one strand of DNA looks like as long as we know the other. 
the hydrogen bonding between bases and DNA's relationship with water causes a twisted ladder appearance, which is called the double helix. The purpose of our DNA is to provide a code for building the proteins that our bodies need to survive. As we know, a protein is a series of amino acids bound together by peptide bonds. One of the things that makes one protein different from another is which amino acids make it up, how many of them there are, and what order they appear in sequence. This is called the protein's primary structure. Proteins make up our enzymes, connective tissue fibers, muscle cells, hormones, pigments, membrane proteins like ion channels and receptors, and several other things that make us unique and allow us to function as organisms. Back on DNA, each set of three nucleotides is called a base triplet. With four different DNA nucleotides, we have 64 different possible base triplets. Most of these represent one amino acid like a code. Since there are 20 amino acids, some of them have multiple base triplets representing them. The sequence that these base triplets appear in a particular section of DNA codes for the sequence that amino acids need to be placed in order to make an accurate version of a particular protein. So, our DNA is what determines what our bodies will look like and how they will function. Protein synthesis is divided up into two phases, transcription and translation. Let's take a look at transcription first. It happens in the nucleus of the cell, and it involves DNA composing messenger RNA. It's important to remember that DNA cannot leave the nucleus because it's simply too large to fit through the nuclear pores. It's also important to remember that most of the ribosomes that build proteins are in the cytoplasm. So the first concern of protein synthesis has got to be to find a way to get the genetic code on DNA to the ribosomes. The way we do that is to make a copy, also known as a transcript, of the pertinent sequence of DNA that can leave the nucleus and bring that transcript to a ribosome. So the first phase of protein synthesis is called transcription, and the transcript it produces is another nucleic acid called ribonucleic acid, or RNA. Now, RNA is similar to DNA, except for two specific details. In RNA, the backbone sugar is called ribose. And instead of thymine, RNA uses the nitrogenous base uracil as adenine's complementary base pair. Transcription begins with an enzyme called RNA polymerase. The suffix ASE indicates that it's an enzyme. And a polymer is a molecule made up of a lot of similar units bonded together. So RNA polymerase is the enzyme that catalyzes the reaction resulting in a polymer of RNA. This enzyme attaches to the DNA at a specific spot in the genetic code called a promoter. Promoters can be up to a thousand base triplets long. From the promoter, RNA polymerase breaks the hydrogen bonds between the nitrogenous bases of DNA, 
This opens up the double helix like a zipper. As the nitrogenous bases of DNA nucleotides are exposed, RNA polymerase allows free RNA nucleotides in the nucleoplasm to form hydrogen bonds with the exposed DNA nucleotides at their nitrogenous bases. This bonding follows the rules of complementary base pairing, so the sequence of RNA nucleotides being produced is directly determined by the sequence of nucleotides on DNA. For example, where there's cytosine on DNA, RNA polymerase will place guanine. Where there is thymine, it will place adenine. Guanine will get cytosine, and adenine gets uracil because remember there is no thymine in RNA. Each base triplet on the DNA will produce a specific corresponding set of three nucleotides of RNA. These three nucleotides are called a codon, and for every base triplet, there's a specific codon. It's very easy to predict a codon being produced if you know the base triplet. RNA polymerase also forms bonds between the backbones of the RNA nucleotides, forming a single strand of RNA. As the RNA polymerase moves off of a segment, the bonds between the nitrogenous bases are broken, releasing the RNA from the DNA and allowing the double helix of DNA to be restored. This continues along the DNA strand until the RNA polymerase reaches a DNA sequence called the terminator, at which point it stops and detaches from the DNA. The new RNA transcript formed is called messenger RNA because it is free to leave the nucleus and bring this message to a ribosome. Now you're ready to understand translation, which happens in the cytoplasm. The first thing I'd like to do is to introduce you to another type of RNA called transfer RNA. It's also known as tRNA. tRNA's job is to bind to a free amino acid in the cytosol and deliver it to a ribosome. Each transfer RNA has a series of three nucleotides on it that we call the anticodon. An anticodon is made up of three nucleotides whose nitrogenous bases are the complementary base pairs of a specific codon that can be found on messenger RNA. The first step of translation is called initiation and it begins when the messenger RNA attaches to the small subunit of a ribosome. The ribosome locates the codon AUG on the mRNA. AUG is what we call a start codon. It's always where translation begins. The first transfer RNA is called initiator transfer RNA, and it carries the amino acid called methionine. Initiator tRNA has the anticodon UAC because it matches up with the codon AUG. That initiator tRNA will lock into the peptidyl site on the ribosome's large subunit. It's also called the P site. The acetyl site, which is also called the A site, will remain vacant but not for long. The fully assembled ribosome is now ready to begin synthesizing a protein. The second step of translation is called elongation. Now that initiation is complete, 
a second tRNA carrying another amino acid can settle into the A site of the ribosome's large subunit. If the second codon is, let's say, GCU, then the second tRNA will have an anticodon of CGA. This particular tRNA would be carrying the amino acid called alanine. An enzyme that already exists in the large subunit of the ribosome catalyzes a reaction that forms a peptide bond between these two amino acids. Still just a dipeptide with only two amino acids, our protein is on its way to being built. Once this happens, the ribosome can slide onto the next codon of messenger RNA. This action will shift the initiator tRNA to the exit site, which we also call the E site. And the second transfer RNA can now move to the P site. Having given its amino acid to the dipeptide, the initiator tRNA will exit the ribosome and seek out another methionine in the cytosol so it can be used again later. Now that leaves the A site vacant again. So a third codon can now be matched with its complementary anticodon. If the next codon is ACG, for example, the next tRNA will have the anticodon UGC, and it will settle in on the A site. Once again, an enzyme transfers the amino acid at the P site to the transfer RNA at the A site. However, this time, both amino acids of the dipeptide transfer over, making the peptide an even longer chain of amino acids. This process continues until the ribosome reaches a codon called the stop codon. At that point, there is no anticodon to match up. So instead of a tRNA settling in on the A site, a protein called release factor gets put there instead. This causes the ribosome to disassemble. This last step is called termination, and our new protein is now ready to be processed by the endoplasmic reticulum, packaged by the Golgi complex, and sent off to wherever it can be useful. All right, what did you think of that? We got DNA structure, transcription, and translation all done in about 15 minutes. So that's a big chunk of cell biology that is really important to understanding how our body works because these proteins, as you saw, are used all over the place in pretty much almost anything you can think of in our bodies. So I hope that this discussion has helped you to understand this important concept to get a B or better on your next A&P exam. And maybe it's been a little bit interesting. Learn something new. Uh, I'm planning on publishing these podcasts on Sundays and Wednesdays now. So I'm going to try to put together as many as I can. If I miss a day or two here or there, that's again because, you know, I'm, I'm teaching my classes right now. I'm working on the new book and, uh, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on too. So I'm going to really try to make sure that I get this going for you in a pretty consistent way. Um, so thanks again for all your support and for listening and for studying the human body. And I will talk to you soon when we tackle DNA replication and cell division. Good luck, and I'll talk to you soon. Hey, don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Student Help for AP. 
That's the word student help, the number four, AP. And I also have an Instagram account and a Twitter feed with the same name. So check those out too. Anatomy and Physiology Bit by Bit is a production of Minus 55 Media, with a special thanks to Bucks County Community College for giving me a job doing what I love.